If you stuck around after all the ghost stories, the crazy history dive, and everything in between for Lake Lanier, get ready for another round of the wild adventures in this continuation. Let's get to part two. Welcome to Cryptic Soup. And stay out of the water. Woo, spooky. Lake Lanier is being sued by the tri-state area again for multiple infractures to the original treaty. weekend in 2019, Lake Lanier had made the news very fast, and here's why. It was just after midnight on May 25th when Michael Thompson, a 61-year-old man, had his body recovered from Lake Lanier. It was ruled as an accident, accidental drowning. After a family member had found him in the water near Pine Forest Road, the case was still under investigation by Hall County Sheriff Office of Criminal Investigational Division. Try saying that ten times fast. <laughs> no, <it> was, <laughs> I couldn't even get it once. I was like, nope. <laughs> I couldn't figure out where to take my breath. I'm like, right. oh, there's more words. <laughs> Investigation by the Hall County Sheriff Office of Criminal Investigations Division. <laughs> like, could fit it all on one, one business card, my dude. Accidents happen, right? But it was still enough to make the news. Because it was still a kind of shocking incident. But if that's where the story of the Memorial Day weekend had stopped, it wouldn't be Lake Lanier, right? So it was Memorial Day weekend, and everyone was out having fun in the sun. However, the Hall County Fire Services were then called out to investigate two near drownings in residential swimming pools. The first one was at 12.53 p.m., where a 13-year-old boy was recovered unconscious from the pool. Someone had to perform CPR, and he was taken to the Children's Healthcare of Atlanta at Scottish Rite Emergency Center. So you thought that the first stories would be, you know, in Lake Lanier, but nope, just kidding. (laughs) They're in pools. (laughs) (laughs) I know. At first I was like, do these even count? And then I was like, well, they all happened in the same day. And they happened technically like in the same county. And like these apartments kind of are on Lake Lanier. It's just they have a pool also. Yeah. The second one was at 4.22 p.m., where a nine-year-old boy was found to be rescued as well and given CPR. He was taken to the Northeast Georgia Medical Center to a non-emergency wing. So you would think that's enough enough stuff to make the news, right? Well, it's like that TikTok sound where the guy's like, ooh, a fresh pie? Save me a slice. And then the guy just, like, keeps cutting the piece in. He's like, okay, all right. Or it's like the... It's enough slices. Oh, no one. Oh. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. Oh no, 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 no. That's really what this is. Every time another news Just story. Continuously breaks. going on a loop. Well, Reginald Terrell Whitehead was 30 years old when at 8:33 p.m. a search had been started for him also the same day. Whitehead was using a personal watercraft and attempting to pull it onto a boat ramp when it flipped over and the victim did not resurface. A bystander said they saw the incident and had begun to throw a flotation device, but there was just no sign of him. When the Hall County Service and firefighters came to the area, divers were issued, but this did not help. 
Sonar devices were then dispatched from the Georgia Department of Natural Resources. The body of Whitehead was found at Shoal Creek Park at 10.45 p.m., and the body was recovered at 8.30. No. I don't even know where I got that number. (laughs) Not even close. (laughs) At 11.30 p.m., the body was then sent out for an autopsy where he was declared dead by drowning. So that all happened in just one singular day. I want to know how, though. Like, anything could have happened when he hit the water, I guess. I would like to give you a tip on how it happened. Would you like to know? Yes, I would like to know. It's cursed. Oh, 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 okay. Duh. Duh. Why didn't you think of that? Come on. Gosh. It's cryptic. Ooh. Ooh, spooky. It's almost like cryptic, not soup, cryptic. Cryptic water. Water. <laughs> the next story we're going to go over is the Kelly Nash story, which if you know the Kelly Nash story, it's a doozy. It's, it's, a, little it's a doozy. There's a few cases that always I. People have opinions on cases they like, dislike. A lot of people are like, I hate cold cases or I hate abduction or I hate children cases. This is my least favorite type of case where it's a. Is it a homicide or a suicide? And you just don't know. And it could almost go either way. But like everyone has their own opinions. These cases drive me bonkers. If that didn't give you a teaser, then I don't know what will. (laughs) Kelly Nash was a 25 year old man living on Jimmy Dodd Road in Lake Lanier with his girlfriend, Jessica Sexton, and their dogs. They had recently moved in together at Buford, Georgia, after being together for over three years. Kelly was born on September 15th in 1989 in Alabama, where he was working for his father's construction company and currently attending top college to become an accountant. <laughs> Oy, that <laughs> sentence roughed me up. <laughs> I wanted to put a T at the beginning of every single word. College to, be, to become an accountant. It was January 5th, 2015, when Kelly was officially reported missing. Spoiler alert, that's the day before my birthday. <laughs> that's that's all. That's all. The timeline went as followed. On January 4th, Kelly had went to get meds at a gas station around 9 p.m. and had called Jessica during this time. He told her he had been feeling a little under the weather, like maybe a sinus infection or something, which everyone knew was super common for Kelly to get. And his mother, Beverly, had even backed that story up. Later, this was identified to be a true story because he was captured on CCTV footage less than a mile from his home. He then got home, took some of the meds, and was headed to bed around 11.30 p.m. Kelly woke up at some point in the night, and many people describe him as being extremely respectful, and during this time he decided to go play video games in the living room because he could not fall back asleep. The reason why I mentioned that he was very respectful is because during this time, Jessica had woken up around 3 or 4 a.m., and noticed Kelly was not in the bedroom. She assumed that he probably didn't want to wake her, and so that's why he was, you know, being a nice guy. I can't sleep. I'm not going to, you know, wake my partner up or something. I'll just remove myself from the room for the time being. She went to the living room to check up on him, and he explained he was not feeling well, so he decided to play some video games. Jessica, at this point, had returned back to bed. When Jessica then woke up the next time around 7 a.m. to get ready for work, She had taken the dogs out, and around 7.30 when she was about to leave, she noticed that Kelly was gone. The video games were hitting an idle point, meaning that they were still on, but they just had, like, gone into almost sleep mode or something, like they hadn't been played in a while. His truck was still out front, 
but Jessica noted that the garage door was open and slightly ajar. Kelly's wallet and phone were still in the home, but his clip and a 9mm gun were missing. When Jessica and his family had reported Kelly missing, the surveillance footage of the previous night of him at the gas station was released to the public so that they knew who to look out for. During this point, there was also another leak of footage from the same evening of a man later walking around the gas station around 4 or 5 a.m., but the footage was really grainy and distorted because of it being a later hour, and there was no evidence of if it was or was not Kelly. Shortly after, at about 5 or 6 a.m., the gas station was actually burned down due to an arson attack. But again, it was unable to be caught on film who did this, but it wasn't intentional. Police did not assume this intentional act or any of the acts to be Kelly, but they didn't know if it could somehow have a connection. The only thing that made this sound like it could have been a possibility was that Kelly could have woken up thinking he needed more meds and he was walking to his father's house. His father's house was just past the gas station, so that could have lined up, but that still didn't have any reason why there was an arson put into this whole storyline. While doing the searching, there was a helicopter search, police and dog rescue team sent out, and local search groups, including Jessica and Kelly's family, that were helping out. Kelly's friends and family put up a $50,000 reward for information leading to where Kelly was or to bring him home safely during this time. His family had then hired a private investigator to try and dig up any information on anyone that could be looking to harm Kelly, kidnap him, or literally any leads, maybe like drugs or, you know, gambling, literally anything. But unfortunately, nothing was found at all, which actually made the story even weirder because now they have nothing to base this whole scenario on. On February 8th, a local fisherman was out on Lake Lanier when he had spotted, spotted, (laughs) reading ahead, (laughs) I'm getting excited, (laughs) where he had spotted a body in the water by the Shadburn Ferry Road, which if you remember from the last episode, I mentioned that the Shadburns was the first people to sell their land, the man that sold the 100 acres. And I said that it's like a famous area now. So this made it even more famous because that's where Kelly Nash's body ended up being found. But yeah, that's why I gave you that context last episode, which if you didn't listen to it, you're crazy. Why are you listening to part two? Don't be that guy. (laughs) Go back. Go listen to part one. You don't know what I'm talking about here. (laughs) Crazier thing about his body being found on Shadburn Ferry Road is that it is only two miles from where Kelly and Jessica actually lived. The Gainesville County Sheriff, Sean McC... Cusker went on to record to confirm that Kelly Nash in the body of the body was the body. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) I was trying to say was the body in the body of water and none of that came to be correct. (laughs) We can't do this again. (laughs) No, we're really bad at nighttime. We should learn. (laughs) It's Animal Crossing's fault. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Sean McCusker went on record to confirm that Kelly Nash was the body that was found. (laughs) It had a single gunshot wound, but not stating where the gunshot wound was or if there was foul play until the medical examiner's full report came back. The coroner openly stated the tattoos on the body correctly identified the victim as Kelly Nash, 
but the body was so deeply decomposed that it was hard to observe if any trauma had happened to the body. The gun was missing, and still to this day, the medical examiner has never released anything to the public, causing everyone to wonder, was this a suicide or a murder? Why won't they release anything? There are a few online theories as to what could have happened. Obviously, the first theory is suicide. Secondly, people blame the smiley face killers, saying that he could have fell victim to that. Kylie, what do you know about smiley face killers? I know absolutely nothing. (laughs) Okay, cool. Well, someday we'll cover that and you'll find a lot out. (laughs) Third is that Jessica was previously married to a man named Jason Baker, who died in a kind of mysterious accident that had very little information released. The internet went on with crazy theories that she could know more about these cases than she lets on. I think this girl just had some bad luck because if you hear interviews and things with her, she sounds like a very genuinely hurt person that like already, oh God, how could this happen to me once? But then, oh God, how could this happen to me again? Yeah. Like this girl's distraught. If she really did have something to do with this, I would be surprised. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it, I don't think it was her. And Nah, that one's a little far-fetched. Lastly, people wondered if there could have been an intruder or maybe someone sketchy outside or something, maybe even the arsonist. And that's why Kelly went outside without his things, but he did go outside with a gun because his own father even said that Kelly did not often carry the gun with him. So potentially maybe he was going outside to be like, hey, get off my property, get away, something like that, to protect himself and Jessica. I wonder... I know I was thinking of that too. Like, I need to know where like his house is versus like the gas station. Like, can you see the gas station from his home? Okay. I tried Google mapping it. Mm-hmm. I tried doing things. I really did. And the there were so many different variations though, because I don't know if maybe the gas station was rebuilt and that's why I was struggling because it yeah. But sometimes it looks like this gas station is only two to three miles away. And then sometimes it was like eight to ten miles away. Big difference. Mm, Big difference, but not big when a gas station's on fire. I feel like you're going to see those flames either way. But again, I don't know. Was it the gas pumps on fire? Was it the gas station on fire? Did it burn the whole thing down? That's also really hard to say. True. So he could have like seen it being on fire. Or smelled it in the air. Yeah. And then brought his gun just in case for that reason and then found them and because also, if you're going to smell something sketchy on fire, I feel like burning gas would you would smell that instantly. But just a burning yeah. building, I feel like you would smell. So maybe he goes outside because he smells a burning building and he sees a sketchy person walking around. Because at that point, if you're smelling this, you could even think like, oh, God, my neighbor's house is on fire. My garage is on fire. Or you know, his dad's house. You never know what you're yeah. thinking. And he's tired. He's sick. He's on meds. He could have went outside and been like, I'm, I'm going to protect me and Jess and our pups. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go outside. And then, you know, that's when he felt victim to foul play. Maybe he saw something he shouldn't have. Yeah. That seems caught them in the act. That seems honestly like a really valid thing. But again, these are all speculation and there is a lot of speculation that all sound a little true, but they all sound really wrong. So it's really a mystery. So if you or anyone you know has any information about the death of Kelly Nash, please contact the Gwinnett County Police Department. We will link in the show notes and on our Instagram post at the very end, we will put 
the information. Because a lot of the cases we're dealing with today, there are going to be a lot of places you can call, link, or give your testimonials to if you know anything. So we will make sure to mention all those in the posts as well as in the descriptions. The next one, another unsolved. I'm really sorry. I'm going to keep hitting you with these. Lovely. This one is Hannah True Love. I like debating them, though. I like debating them, and I love her name, True Love. Yeah, it makes me think of Luna. Love good? Yes. <laughs> I feel like it's um, a very, like, Netflix name also. Like, yeah. This is the story of Hannah True Love. Like, yeah. it's just cute, almost. Kind of like... um. 13 reasons why yes yeah um there's a again i know i I know a lot of random information there's a really famous playboy bunny from (laughs) i think we went from 13 reasons why with hannah baker no no no. this will this will come full circle i promise there's a reason why i know this information okay there's a uh I think she might also do porn, but she is for sure a Playboy bunny. And she won a Playboy affiliate like centerfold position for an anniversary, either like the 20th, 50, 75th anniversary, something like that. And her name is Candy Loving. And I just think that name is iconic. (laughs) But the reason I know that is because there was a Playboy bunny that was murdered and I heard a true crime case about her and I really wanted to cover her someday and she actually was the runner up to Candy Loving. And so they mentioned Candy Loving oh. in the episode a lot. And that's why I know this. Okay. <laughs> so I had a it's reason. It's connected to true crime. I understand. Now you know how I know this fact. Yes. I didn't, I didn't know a random fact. <laughs> I knew a true crime fact. <laughs> so now, now that we've just dissected names we love <laughs> for you, let's get back to Hannah. True love. Hannah Truelove was a 16-year-old girl who was living with her mother in the Lanier Lake Club Apartments of Georgia. She was described as a sweet young lady who was always very respectful and very well-mannered. Hannah was popular among her friends and pretty well-liked by just everyone. Hannah loved her two cats and her Yorkie. (sighs) I forget her Yorkie's name. I want to say it was Jake. No. It was a pretty basic name that was just like wholesome, like, hang out with your little Yorkie. I love Yorkies. Of course you do. Stop it. You're so basic. (laughs) That's okay. She was hoping to attend college to become a veterinarian someday. Hannah had arrived home from school around her usual time on August 23rd, 2012 to an empty apartment. But that was actually very common because her mother worked a full-time job. She had gone to gather the mail for her mom and just relax for a bit, you know, hang around the house. When at 4 p.m., the neighbors had her called, seeing Hannah walking towards the courtyard of the apartment complex, leaving her home. She stayed in the courtyard area for a few hours to hang out with friends and just, you know, be a teenager. And the last sighting was confirmed by a neighbor seeing her at 7.30 p.m. outside with friends still. Mona Harris, Hannah's mother, got home from work and noticed the apartment was extra quiet. Mona thought this would be a perfect time for a nap since she assumed Hannah was probably just out from out with friends still. After school, Hannah would often hang out with friends and Hannah and her dad would also get dinner some days and hang out frequently as well. She assumed Hannah would wake her up when she got home. However, when dusk started to approach, Mona had woken up and realized Hannah was still not home, which was abnormal for her. When Mona got really concerned, she called Hannah's father, Jeff Truelove, 
to see if Hannah had gone to his house. When Mona had found out that Jeff was not in tough touch with his daughter either, she got extremely worried and started calling Hannah's friends. By 9.30 p.m., Mona called the Gainesville Police Department and reported her daughter missing. Police conducted a search of the entire apartment complex and found nothing. When the search was expanded to the surrounding areas, a severe thunderstorm cut the search short. Mona and Jeff knew that Hannah would not have stayed out during the storm and took that as a very bad sign of something involving foul play with Hannah disappearing. The next day, Friday the 24th, the police and detectives went to the Gainesville High School that Hannah had attended, and they were conducting interviews of different classmates and friends of Hannah. Nothing was helpful to the whereabouts of Hannah, though. Hannah had never ran away or shown any signs of even wanting to leave her life behind. The mystery was getting harder to solve at this point. When another search was going to be conducted on Saturday, it was canceled because on Friday evening, a man called into the police department regarding what he saw in the woods. A man said he was walking through the woods and spotted what he thought was a mannequin. Kylie, cue my catchphrase. It's never a mannequin. (laughs) It's never a mannequin, people. He said that he saw the mannequin in the ravine behind Lake Lanier. Oh, goodness. Every time I say this, Lanier Lake Club Apartments. I got to talk to the owner of those. Why? Why do you? What's the point? Could you you just backwards? Did you? Was it copyrighted? Could you not do it that way? So you had to do it the opposite way. It drives me bonkers because I say it wrong every time. (laughs) Lanier, Lanier Lake Club Apartments. So he went to get a better look. That was when he realized it was the missing girl everyone was searching for. Hannah's body was found, and it was less than 100 yards from her home. That is so close. I always think of everything in a football field, like, terms. Yeah. uh, Yeah. It's so close. Yeah, it is. With Hannah's body being so close, you would assume that it was a bad investigation search, right? But it was actually more about the location it was found in. The apartments in which she lived were part of the Gainesville city limits. So when the search was being done, it was being done by the Gainesville City Police Department. However, the woods behind the apartments where her body was found was the Hall city limits. So at this point, it had to have been turned over to the Hall city. That means Gainesville police had to hand over the case to Hall County Sheriff Department and everything they had up to this point. I really really hate politics like just search (laughs) the damn area like come on i mean in other cases they'll still search they even cross state lines sometimes exactly but then when they do find something they're like okay we'll turn it over now they can't do anything but like uh just that is so so close to search because like we live in an area where the towns overlap really really close Mm -hmm. and the towns and the counties overlap a lot well you live like seven minutes away from me and technically live in the city and i live in the county yeah i don't live in the city like it's and it's just silly like really (laughs) it's just (laughs) seven minutes away (laughs) it's so ridiculous well they did at least when they turned over the files began an instant homicide investigation so they were on the right the path there at least hannah had multiple stab wounds throughout her body but there was very little evidence beyond if the stab wounds were what killed her due to the amount of rain from the previous thunderstorm 
It had actually pulled up near her body in the ravine because her body was at the bottom and her body was washed clean of evidence and even the blood because she was submerged in a small river that had been formed by the storm drains leading down the ravine. Hannah's death was already a mystery because no one actually saw Hannah go into the woods. And her apartment complex is a pretty decent bustling area where someone would have witnessed a potential kidnapping if it happened. The police assumed Hannah was willingly convinced to go into the woods by someone she already knew, yet there was no one coming forward with any evidence of seeing this. The police had noticed the estranged parts of the case, like that Hannah's social media accounts had some very odd things on it, specifically her Twitter, which is still available to see. And I did go and I looked and I found some some of the tweets leading up to her death. July 24th. If I don't reply to you, stop messaging me. If I reply, fine. Just stop harassing me. Dang. August 12th. I got me an ugly ass stalker. And then the, the little like merp face. <laughs> merp face. <laughs> Not trying to make like it's hard like dash this, then... and then long dash and then dash. <laughs> yeah, very nice. <laughs> merp. August 15th. I'm going to start driving to school soon. Mark my words. August 18th. So scared right now. Slash face. August 19th. I can't do this by myself. Dot, dot, dot. August 22nd. I need to move out of these dang apartments. So mixed in between all these tweets, Hannah had like some more normal tweets, you know, like song lyrics, uh, normal things about her day. She did at one point kind of divulge about having a slight crush on someone. And she would like allude to it with also different like movie quotes, song quotes, things like that. But then she also had some drama with a friend at some point because she would tweet like normal things about being irritated, seeing them in class, doing things, just even being like, why would your friends do this? You know, she she had normal, normal high school girl tweets. But these, when you put them all together, don't sound good, especially with what happened to Hannah. Well, and she specifically states that she's scared and that she has a stalker. Yeah. But like, take it with a grain of salt because she's a high schooler. Right. I know how that is. But when you hear what happened to her, I feel like maybe they should be cause for concern. Like Just a little if bit. You, if you're your, if you see your friend tweeting this, at least reach out, ask, ask questions, inform their parents. I would rather be a tattletale on something like this than not. Yeah, I would have. <laughs> I would have been the person that tattled. I'm such a tattle. <laughs> Well, sorry, I, I think I would sorry. tattle about this, too. Yeah, I would just like reading it. If it was my friend and I read it, like I would be scared. Yeah. Even though I didn't know any part of it or well, any context clues, I'd still be scared for her. There was a, I'm not going to mention her name. There was a girl in my high school that she tweeted like not tweeted. Twitter wasn't a thing back there. She MySpace posted about um, really self-harm things one time. And I tattletailed on her. I'm so sorry. I mean, I, I'm not sorry because, like, I mean, it kind of was a good. She ended up needing the help that she got. Yeah. But I tattled to the school counselor on her. I didn't know what to do. So, I mean, but look. But maybe you saved her life. Help. Maybe you saved her life. Sometimes kids are not going to reach out when they need help. Exactly. Well, here's the thing. 
Hannah didn't mention to any friends, family, anyone, anything about these tweets. She didn't mention having a potential stalker. She didn't mention being scared. She didn't mention anything. And I'm not victim blaming her one bit. I'm almost friend blaming that her friends didn't say anything because on well, it, it almost sounds like her Twitter is like her I train mean, of now. Thought. Well, now it's like, you know, bigger and followed more. But like maybe she didn't give out her Twitter to her friends. Well, you would think that. But her friends said they saw her social media posts mm. and did not ask questions about it. But they felt really bad after that, after Hannah's death. So. Damn. <laughs> yep. You tried. He tried giving them the benefit of the doubt. Yep. One man was questioned about having a crush on Hannah. And this could have been the person that the tweets were directed at. But the police eliminated him as a potential suspect. I don't know how or why, but they did. There were rumors of Hannah having a secret cell phone from her parents, but it was not proven to be true or false, and there was no evidence to support it either way. In fact, the police noticed that most often Hannah communicated with friends through her Nintendo DS, where they found nothing of any suspicious nature or activity. Two weeks after the murder, investigators came forth with a lead that they were trying to locate, a light silver four-door sedan that was possibly a Dodge or a Chevy. It had last been seen at the Lanier Apartments the evening Hannah was killed. A noticeable feature on the car being that the driver's side door was a light silver or white shade that did not match the rest of the vehicle. It was said to have been seen by multiple people in the apartment complex, though, and it had three male passengers inside it. One witness said they saw a male passenger get out of the backseat of the car and walk towards the woods around 6-ish p.m., not far ahead of Hannah. However, it was unsure if Hannah and the man were walking together or if they just happened to be going in the same direction by chance. The detective did state that the males in the car are not suspects at the time, but due to Hannah being seen alive an hour later and the car being left in the parking lot, they believe that they could have seen or heard something useful to the investigation. Hannah's case is still unsolved and the list of suspects does get shorter but mostly those that remain are not willing to cooperate with the police or without any physical evidence to tie them to the crime. So the case is getting as cold as it possibly could get, sadly. Again, if you or anyone you know has information about Hannah Truelove's murder, please reach out and contact the Hall County Sheriff's Office or Crime Stoppers. Again, the links are in the show notes and the Instagram post. Damn, that was the most professional I've sounded this whole podcast. <laughs> I got real into that part. He did. He did. <laughs> On to the next case. Dorian Pison was a 24-year-old promising basketball star from Greenville, South Carolina. In 2018, he began playing professional basketball in Germany with the... He Bison. <laughs> he Bison. White Wings Hannah Group. I couldn't trust myself to say it without Google. I'll be real. <laughs> He also played in Israel and Canada. He was said to be a wonderful athlete and in great shape. When Dorian and friends took a trip to Lake Lanier in April of 2021. Oh, so recent. So recent. Dorian ended up drowning in Lake Lanier. Wow, that got really to the point. Sadly. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It was just like he drowned. He drowned. I did not type <laughs> that very well. I was just like, let's get to the point. <laughs> 
Dorian was found 117 feet deep using a sonar scanner after 86 days of being missing. So, (laughs) crazy enough, when they found his body, they were actually searching for a different person that day. And they found Dorian's body. Okay. Which is, like, actually really common. Yeah. You'll be searching for one person and find someone else. That's really sad. It's, it's like, it sounds fake. It's just really weird. He had been missing since April 18th, where he was a victim of a boating incident near Sunrise Cove Marina when three people fell from a pontoon boat that they were renting. Due to the wind on the lake that day, Dorian was unable to make it back to the boat for safety, and the other two people were rescued by a passing boat. They said when they saw Dorian go under and not resurface, they were shocked. For five days, they had searched for his body using sonar and helicopters, but were unable to find anything. The area where Dorian went under was said to be 130 feet deep with full coverage forest under the water. So a tree just was like, (laughs) well, if you remember, we talked about that whole concept of like, yeah, the more debris it is, it just sucks you down. Yeah. And I don't like that. All right. I'm going to I know last time we proved we were not very smart. (laughs) I'm going to do it again. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So trees produce air. Okay. Well, oxygen. Yes. Yes. Is that why they suck you down is because of this production of oxygen? It's like kind of suctioning you further down. I feel like this isn't a quick Google search. I would just search it because I really (laughs) want to know. Like maybe maybe I am like totally off base, but that sounds like a logical scientific reasoning. Yeah. But also we did Google last time that (laughs) trees aren't actually they're not actually like growing. So they're not necessarily like. Still producing Alive? oxygen. Right. Because they're, they're not just having like, the direct sunlight. I think it needs direct You sunlight. know what? I wonder if they're like, you know how like algae or like seaweed will like flow in the water. Yeah. Like swerve. And so I wonder if like these trees, because the only thing that's holding them where they're at is like their roots. Which, like I wonder if they're like doing this. That's that's even more creepy to think about. In which the also couldn't some of them become unlodged over time because of right r- rotting um wood not wood rot plant plant rot plant uh, root root rot root rot <laughs> root rot. <laughs> I sound like a really bad Pokemon. That's really what you want. Root that, rot. That's, that's the correct word. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> root rot. Where there's like too much water or something yeah. and it like rots the roots out. Like literally drowns them. Root rot. I don't know how to pronounce the, the word. The more you correct. say it, the worse you're going to say it. How does root pronounce correctly? Root. That rot. Okay. <laughs> that rot. Oh. Oh, my mom yelled at us because we get off subject a lot. She's going to hate us. <laughs> um, It's unsubject. Kind of. Mom, you know a lot about plants too. Teach us. I want to know. So due to this being such an area with dense, like, part. Literally forest? Forest, yeah. Like, underneath (laughs) it. It also made it harder to find him, obviously. While using a grid pattern, over 300 acres of lake were searched. And they started searching the shore sweeps and surface areas around the lake as well. 
His family had hired a private set of divers to help find his body in Lake Lanier during the time. But after 86 days of being missing, they at first had a thought that he might not be found. But alas, his body was recovered officially. The case remains under investigation, though, by the Hall County Sheriff's Office and the Georgia Department of Natural Resources. How is it still open, though? I'm moving forward because I don't have the answer. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I um, mean, he, he probably drowned. I mean, yeah. Uh, but why was his body taken so long? I don't know. I don't. Kylie. <laughs> Kylie. <laughs> Kylie. <laughs> yes can we have a can we have a sidebar right now stop (laughs) that's the whole sidebar no i just like why didn't they declare it as a drowning did they not declare it as a drowning well okay if it's open doesn't that also mean they could have been testing alcohol levels things like that but if he's been gone 86 days they can't test that so maybe that's why they're trying to find out that from other uh bystanders but wouldn't they know that from the friends that fell into the water originally kylie yes <laughs> i swear to god i'm debating debate with me i don't want to because i don't have answers <laughs> my debate is to agree with you i still like i just don't like i'm i'm not sure either and the the most recent article i could find about it was only like three weeks old so technically like i assume it's oh, still wow. open yeah i mean it is a 2021 case Okay, we're moving on. Okay. Uh, this one I don't like. This one drives me very upsetty spaghetti. <laughs> so the name of these people are Russell and Shirley Dermond. I wrote the entire notes for it. And I wrote Russell and Shirley Desmond. <laughs> so that's not why it upsets me. It upsets me beyond that, but... I am really sorry if I accidentally throw a Desmond in there. Please know I'm trying not to be disrespectful. I just don't know how to type very well. Or talk. Or read. (laughs) All of the above. All the things you need to do for a podcast. This is the story of Russell Dermond, 88 years old, and his wife, Shirley Dermond, 87. (laughs) That's already starting. The couple had been married 60 years, and they were genuinely a very loving couple. The couple had retired after Russell had been working for a clocking company as an executive and then ran a Hardee's chain restaurant. He was also a World War II veteran. Shirley was a housewife and a mother of four children that stayed home. They were living off the shores of Lake Oconee in a gorgeous home with the Great Waters Gated Community. And the home was estimated at over a million dollars. The pictures of the house, lovely. Ooh, I need to look. It's it's really, really pretty. But the thing is, is actually their house was one of the smaller ones and like the less fancy in the area. Like, I guess like Oconee is the more affluent one area, mm-hmm. or at least this this part of like Oconee. And um, some of the people that have houses in the Lake Oconee area are famous it didn't sound like like sublimely famous like actors and actresses more like you know like famous comedians or famous talk show hosts famous people like that that still have in a stupid amount of money yeah the family had a hardship right before moving to this area their eldest son mark was killed in 1999 in atlanta from a drug deal that had gone wrong due to that they kind of rushed moving into the gated community area and retiring because 
They just felt like it was needed. After being active members of the community and living in the area for many years, the couple met an untimely demise. On May 3rd, 2014, the couple was supposed to go to a friend slash neighbor's house for the Kentucky Derby viewing party. Unfortunately, the couple did not show up. Everyone thought that was odd because they didn't call to apologize or anything, which they were the type of people that would. They would say their reasoning for not being able to show up and be polite about it. The day before, some friends had seen Russell taking a walk around the neighborhood and they saw Shirley outside doing a crossword puzzle, but no one had seen them since these events. The friends who noticed that they were not at the party ended up going to visit the Dermons in their home. No one had answered the door after knocking numerous times, and that's when things got weirder. It was visible in the driveway that there were multiple newspapers, meaning not just one day had gone by when they didn't get their newspaper, but multiple days because they were all just sitting there. So the neighbor decided to check the doors. They found the door unlocked, and after searching the home, they came up empty-handed. The fact that the house was immaculately clean struck them. Like, I'm talking like the police made comment about it. Even the coroner made a comment being like, this is the cleanest house in the world to commit a crime in. Like, spotless. Interesting. And I feel like this needs to be said, being a member of the true crime community, is that it wasn't one of those like, oh, it's spotless. It smells like bleach. Someone cleaned up a crime here. Like, it was always spotless like this. It did not look like someone had freshly cleaned anything in this house. It just always was clean. Well, she's a housewife, too. Yes. So. But I'm saying, like, it doesn't look like a killer came in and then was like, oh, got to bleach the fuck out of the house. Like, right. they, like a lot of dumb like killers it was clean, do. clean. The last place to check was the garage where the cars were still left. However, there was something else in the garage. Between the two cars was a body without a head. Nope. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> there were drag marks next to the body showing that the person was moved to the spot. They could tell the person was deceased by the time they were decapitated and there was gunpowder residue on the collar of the shirt. But since the head was missing and there was no evidence a gun was technically used, they weren't sure what happened. Now, at first, they weren't sure who this was, was but it was easily deducted to find out that it was Russell. Not only was this case already odd because Russell's head was missing from the home. It was nowhere in the home. But Shirley was missing. Some members of the community instantly wondered if Shirley was to blame. But the sheriff, Howard Sillis, said that this was not the case due to her age limiting her to be able to lifting and dragging Russell's body like that. Ten days after finding Russell's body, a fisherman had found Shirley's body floating in the water. Her body had bloated to almost twice its normal size due to her time being in the water. Her body was found only five miles from her home, and Shirley had been weighed down with concrete blocks tied by ropes to her feet. Her body was drugged to the deepest parts of the lake, and she had died by being struck multiple times to the head with something like a claw hammer. Theories have run wild since the discovery of the bodies. The issues are, with the house being so clean, there was no evidence and hardly any blood. Meaning these people probably were not murdered in this house. Russell's body was surrounded by towels even to contain his blood spreading so that it wouldn't leak in the garage to like come out the garage door or anything so that passerbys wouldn't have noticed Russell was even dead. 
The police also believe that the couple was taken out of the home to be murdered and Russell was put back in the home just for the decapitation due to how there was blood. The gated community did have cameras, but as like any good true crime case, the cameras weren't working. I don't understand. Like, it is a gated, wealthy community. Why? Well, you want to know why, Kylie? Yeah, I want to know It's because the cameras had been struck by lightning a few weeks before and had not worked since and they didn't fix them. The fucking odds of that. (laughs) Like, (laughs) are you kidding me? Well, nothing in the home was stolen or even moved, the police think, because it was so clean they could easily tell. So they didn't think it was a robber. They did believe the intruder had done something more odd. They don't think the intruder had entered the home through the gated entrance anyways. They think they entered from the lake. The Germans did not have a boat currently, but they had a private dock with a walkway all the way from the home and the garage, which makes sense how Shirley's body ended up in the water. They used their boat to take her. They meaning the killers. Mm-hmm. There have been quite a few suspects, but most of them were ruled out, and the police have kept a lot of this case quiet. Russell and Shirley's children were said to be suspects, but there was no evidence linking them to the crime, and they were ruled out. A year after the murder, a witness came forward and said they had seen a man walking around the Dermans' property around the same time they believed to be the time of the murder. The sheriff refuses to give any details or description of the person. Then, in 2015, Sheriff Silas said he had a person of interest that he had given past false information to. I read that weird. (laughs) Then, in 2015, Sheriff Silas said he had a person of interest. This person had given past false information regarding the case. He had not made any other claims, but the case is still open. The sheriff said in the past, this whole case... Could have been a robbery gone wrong, but since nothing was stolen, that's kind of weird. And he's kept everything so quiet, it's hard to know what he's thinking at this point. In 2015, the original $20,000 reward for information leading to the case being solved was increased. It currently sits at about $55,000. And that's as of 2021, where Russell's head has also still not been found, and the case is still not solved. Again, The show notes will have the information and links for if you or anyone you know has any tips, please call the Putnam County Sheriff's Office, please. And thank you. (laughs) What did I do this time? Well, I just want to apologize on your behalf because this whole time you said that the sheriff's name was Silas and it's Sills. (laughs) No, it's not. Shut the heck up. So sorry about that. But oh, it's no. it's Sills. <laughs> I noticed it at the end and I was like, that's not right. <laughs> I thought it was S-I-L-L-I-S. It's Sills the whole time. I just looked. It's Sills, yeah. Sheriff Sills. God diddly damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> that's so embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I prove once again I'm not very good at doing what I do. No, no, you're only human. It's fine. (laughs) 
On to the next case. <laughs> Kyle Glover. This is one that a lot of people know. So it's probably not going to be new news to you, but we'll try to see if you know all the facts for it. On July 21st, 2012, Kyle Glover was killed at Lake Lanier. And the reason this is a well-known case across news platforms is this is Usher, the singer's stepson. Kylie, sing Usher. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think you would. <laughs> that was so good. I'm so proud of you. I was going to do confessions part two. We'll do it. I'm a little on the spot right now. Okay. These are my confessions. <laughs> Just when I thought I said all I could say, my chick on the side says she got one on the way. These are my confessions. I couldn't remember what the lyrics were all of a sudden. Kyle was out on an inner tube with his friend when he was ran over by a jet ski that was being driven by Jeffrey Hubbard, a family friend. Jeffrey Hubbard was said to be driving the jet ski recklessly around the lake and supposedly he lost control and ran over the boys, meaning both boys. I still don't understand this. Like, I've driven and ridden many of these watercrafts like you have to be really like really going they were drinking okay well that's step number one yeah step one don't go on lake lanier step two don't drink at lake lanier step three don't mix them (laughs) yeah (laughs) just bad news bears all around Kyle was critically injured in the incident and his friend was rushed to the hospital with serious injuries as well. Kyle was wearing a life jacket and was unconscious when he was pulled from the lake. He was put on life support when rushed to the hospital where Kyle's parents, Tamika Foster and Ryan Glover, had to make the decision to pull the plug on Kyle at only 11 years old, two weeks after the incident. On February 20th, Jeffrey was charged with multiple crimes. He was found guilty of Serious injury by vessel, reckless operation, unlawful operation of personal watercraft, and a boat traffic violation in the Hall County courtroom. Wait, how was he not charged with DUI? Uh, it wasn't that high. Oh, but there was still alcohol in his system. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I guess that could be speculation technically, but what I read was an account of like, I don't remember if it was Tamika that saw it or just like someone that was really close to Kyle, like another family member or someone. But they said that they had saw him driving recklessly and they had seen everyone drinking and partying that day. So when they were like, oh, my gosh, we saw him being reckless, but we were all kind of being reckless. So that's why we didn't like right away point it out. On March 1st, 2013, Jeffries was arrested and being indicted by a grand jury. Jeffrey was convicted and ended up serving four years in prison, and he currently has 15 years of probation still. The Hall County Superior Court Judge Bonnie Oliver said in the courtroom to Hubbard, I'm disappointed that you have not accepted more responsibility for what occurred. The wreck was recently following another intense accident on Lake Lanier that had also killed two young children. So on June 18, 2012, not that long before, there was a boat wreck of two boats colliding where Prince brothers Jake, who was nine, and Griffin, who was 13, had died. The boat that collided with the boat of the boys was driven by Paul Bennett, a 45-year-old who was acquitted or freed from the charges of homicide. 
but was found guilty of boating under the influence, reckless operation of a vehicle, and failure to render aid in the deadly crash, all in November. Paul was sentenced to 30 months in prison, followed by 18 months on probation and 400 hours of community service. So these two incidents were right back to back. And of course, nothing was really changed. Well, actually, that's a lie. That's a lie. I'm so sorry. I did not say this. Not very long after these incidents, they changed one big thing. They changed the legal consumption limit. It went from driving a boat was illegal at 0.10 and they changed it to 0.08, the same as a driving limit. Makes sense. I feel like it should be 0.04. We're in water. We're being more dangerous. I would have thought that it would have been the same as driving limit. And then they moved it down more. Yeah, I would have had no idea in all honesty. But I'm also not on boats very often. So wish I was. I love boating. Not on Lake Lanier, though. (laughs) I also don't jump off of the boat. Yeah, we've heard our our fear stories. Nope. Kylie and I have exchanged fear boating jumping stories before. Not going to happen. Next, we'll cover Corey Brown. He died on June 28th, 2019, after he jumped off his pontoon boat. That's where he went, that's where he went wrong. He jumped you off. He jumped off. <laughs> Stop jumping off. Don't go camping. Don't leave your house. Don't leave your doors unlocked, your windows unlocked. Don't ever think something's a, a mannequin. And don't jump off any watercraft, people. Especially on Lake Lanier. We're like a uh, zombie land. We'll give you rules. Exactly. <laughs> Rule number one. Well, he jumped off his pontoon boat into the lake and was trying to rescue a fellow friend who was struggling to swim. While attempting to help, the currents ended up sweeping Corey under and pushing him deeper into the lake. And police did not find Corey's body until the next day near Vans Tavern Park in Forsyth County. Jasmine Smith was the first person to be interviewed, who was his fiance, and she said he died a hero. The person he was trying to rescue did live, by the way. I also like as soon as you said that, I thought of the um the rule, I guess, that you're not supposed to save your dog if your dog's drowning, like you're supposed to just let it because dogs are more, are better swimmers than humans. I've never heard that. That's really? so sad. Yeah. I'm going to cry thinking about it. <laughs> I'm sorry, but if Saber is drowning, I'm going to save her. Deborah Mack, Corey's mom, had told reporters Corey was one of a kind. She did not know that when he came over Friday, it was going to be the last time she saw him alive. Four people had tried jumping in the water to save the person who was struggling to swim, but they were all rescued by the local resident who was on the lake named Jason Albert. Corey was the only one because he was drug under too fast and was unable to resurface for Jason or anyone to find him and rescue him. That's so scary. Like, was it, is it choppy? Like, was the water choppy? I have no idea, but you know what it could have been? A rogue rogue wave. (laughs) Oh, you're taking my punchline. Yeah, rogue wave. That's terrifying. Yeah. I don't like it. Jason Albert was interviewed by the local news station and he said the following things. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, so it was choppy. Yeah, it was choppy. Apparently we did not read ahead. (laughs) It was a rough chop. They were flailing. They were bobbing up and down. Their mouths were clearly going under the surface. If there was to know that he had been outside all day, swimming all day, I would have known automatically he'd be tired. 
I would have told him before you do anything, trying to save anybody, make sure you have a life jacket. I tried to read it Southern for you since he's from the South. <laughs> None of the four people who were rushed into the lake to save help. <laughs> Did you hear I was struggling at the beginning and I just tried? I think you wanted to say like we're rushed to the hospital, but that wasn't where the, the no. sentence was going. So I was like, they were saving him. I know what's happening. Okay. <laughs> Ooh. None of the four people who rushed into the lake to help were wearing life jackets. And at that point in 2019, Corey was already the ninth person to have been reported drowning in Lake Lanier. And this was only June. So. So moral of the story. Moral of the story is don't jump off. Stay on your boat. If you're going to go out on Lake Lanier, stay on your boat. Better yet, don't go out on Lake Lanier. Okay, so we're going to get to the last one, but this one is wild and it's really, really long. So I am going to try to do a faster summary of it because it's a lot of legal problems and a lot of legal jargon. And also I'm scared of legal stuff. So I'm going to try to get this as smooth as possible, but as fast as possible. If you do want to know more about this case, the Supreme Court of Georgia Lejeune versus the state documents are available online to read and to learn more about the case. It is free, too. So this case gets really muddy due to all the appeals, the amount of times that it's gone back to court, the motions for evidentiary support, use of blood and other things from the crime scene and literally anything in between. So to summarize what I just said, because that already was a lot, the court and the killer have literally just been fighting over the laws regarding reading between the lines for search warrants or not. One person says, mm, you're you're going above and beyond your search warrant. And the other person's like, it's implied here, buddy. <laughs> OK, <laughs> I think, you know, who's who. <laughs> so there was a separate battle of whether or not the ex-girlfriend's allowed to be used as a witness or testify against him also. And there was also an argument of if there truly was probable cause when the apartment was searched. So there's just... It's a lot of fights, you guys. I'm sorry. So I'm mostly reading from Renka Anod's court statement of the crime to summarize it. She is the girlfriend, ex-girlfriend at this time. In her statement, she says that she was in the apartment on December 17th, 1997, when Michael Lejeune, 27-year-old, had shot Ronnie Davis, a 39-year-old, in the head. Rekha, 27, heard the gunshot and saw Michael holding the gun, and he was instantly admitting that he had shot Ronnie and that he needed to take care of the body. Michael and Rekha drug Ronnie's body up the stairs and put him in the bathtub and began to cut up the body. They then placed the body parts in his Toyota Corolla. They drove to a local cemetery in Forsyth County and burned the body parts, minus the head, but plus the car. He kept the head because the bullet was still lodged inside and he did not want it traced back to him. The headless body was later found in a car that was on fire at the Forsyth County Cemetery. The couple went back to Michael's parents' house on Lake Lanier where they tried extracting the bullet from the head with tools in the basement. After multiple failed attempts, he put the head into a bucket, poured cement over it, and dumped it in the lake. P.S. In this case, the head is still missing also. A lot, of, a lot of heads in Lake Lanier. Yep. That's alone enough for me to not even want to touch it with my pinky. 
I would see like something floating in the distance and I'd be like, ah, oh, yes, I like, had. Nope, yep, that's that's about it. I'm, I'm, I'm out. Blood evidence corroborated the story in the apartment. The car trunk and the blood tissue from the victim's head was on a vice grip in the basement. Ew. That is so gross. Imagine going down there to like use your vice grip and you're like, oh, my son used it to kill someone. Right. No big deal. The reason Michael Lejeune had killed Ronnie Davis was because he was high on crack cocaine and murdered him for an unpaid drug debt of only $250. That does not buy a lot of crack cocaine, I don't think. I would have no idea. Rekha said after the murder, she had snorted cocaine and got right to cleaning and scrubbing as much of the blood as she could. Because supposedly, after he was killed, he bled all over the rugs in the living room where he was shot. She said during this time while cleaning, Ronnie had talked about... I'm sorry, I made a mistake there. Michael had talked about taking Ronnie's wallet out and took all the cash from it. Why is this case so wild? Because at the time, Michael said he was actually innocent. He claimed that the drug dealer boss, Kenneth Vaughn, and Ronnie's roommate, Neil Bellinger, actually were the ones that committed... Committed. <laughs> committed. <laughs> nope, I like permitted. <laughs> it's like when Kermit admits to something, he had permitted. No, you were doing committed and the crime. Oh, is together. that what I was putting together? Yes. <laughs> I thought I was thinking of Kermit the Frog. No. <laughs> I'm glad you know, because I never know what's happening in my head. Yeah. really don't. Well, he actually committed the crime and the murder. He claimed he is innocent and he's a man that's in the wrong place at the wrong time. So it made him easy for these crimes to be pinned on him. Michael's lawyer said in court, the real killer is the informant who pointed the police to Lejeune in the first place. Not my person. Yeah, no. Okay. Brian Steele is the lawyer. Everybody, uh. Everybody needs him and uh, Casey Anthony's lawyer need to go out for a round of drinks together. Yeah. Another wild thing while dismembering the body, Michael uh, was just, you know, cutting him up. And Reka actually allowed someone to come into the apartment and was selling drugs to them. Due to her being a drug dealer and her fear of her boyfriend and her being oh so in love with him. She's like, I can't go to the police. You know, just can't do it. So in January of 1998, the couple was arrested. And with the help of a plea deal for Rekha's testimony, her charges were entirely dropped. Okay. (sighs) Also, the (laughs) first time this was supposed to go to court, there was a mistrial because someone shot up the courthouse unrelated. Okay. (laughs) Like, I wish I was making this up. This sounds so wild. Everything about all these stories sounds like, what else could happen? Like, okay. When, When Michael was sentenced to life without parole... He finally pled guilty to the murder in this was in 2005 at his death penalty trial in the Fulton County Superior Court. But he still is trying to have his conviction thrown out, even after pleading guilty. The Supreme Court cited four to three on the decision, and Michael now gets to have another chance in court to say that his guilty plea was forced by the police. They sound like model citizens of this. Of this country. I really want to know if they really are exes. I wonder if they like still write to each other or anything or at least have any contact. I feel like that could make it that could sway the jury. I feel like maybe. So. I also feel like I would need a whole lot of crack cocaine to clean 
up my apartment after someone was just shot in it. Well, hey now, hey, Rika was just doing cocaine. She didn't do crack. She's okay. a classy lady here. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'll throw a few current random extra informations to you. On May 9th, 2020, a boat exploded. Six people, including two teenagers, were severely injured. The boat had exploded while refueling at a gas dock that was called the Port of Indecision. On May 26, 2020, so only actually a few days later, a 33-foot boat was lost and trying to get back to the shore. They were then hit by a 36-foot boat (laughs) that was coming to help them navigate their way back to shore. No deaths, luckily, but quite a few injuries. How disrespectful would that be being like, oh, my God, look, the people coming to save us. Boom. Oh, my God, (laughs) the people hit us. Like, is it always foggy? I don't understand. Could you just not going too fast and just slant? I don't understand. I don't I don't I have so many questions. (laughs) So many questions. In 2021, a case of drowning happened. Jeffrey McElifresh was a 55 year old man who was out on the lake paddle boarding. He was said to not have a life jacket on. You dumbass. Paddle boarding? <laughs> like, like, come on. Uh, not victim blaming. But like, come but on. a little bit. <laughs> His pool noodle that was with him started to drift off. He tried recovering it. A pool noodle, people. Bystanders say during this time he got sucked under the water and drowned. His body was recovered on July 16th. No news about the pool noodle. <laughs> like, <sighs> like 99 cents. <laughs> Let it go. All right. May 20th, 2021. Sathvik Kathapu of Cumming, Georgia was 19 years old when he drowned to death. It was a Thursday evening around 7.30 p.m. on Young Deer Creek on Lake Lanier. Mark McKinnon, the DNR's law enforcement division, said the teen was attempting to swim across the cove and he became fatigued and went under. Around 9 p.m., sonar devices had found the victim 22 feet under the water. He had been pushed down. That's so scary to think about. Like, Like, oh, I can make it. And then all of a sudden you can't. Yeah. That's so scary. Yeah. The lake has rules that they claim will make people safe. They say things like you have to use a buddy system while swimming to not drink if you're going out on the lake. Yeah, okay. (laughs) And to never go in restricted areas. Literally none of those rules sound like they would stop anyone. They all sound like actually the anti rules. So we've talked about the history. We've talked about some crazy deaths. (laughs) At this point, if you're going Lake Lanier, I got questions for you, buddy. But you know what we haven't talked about, Kylie? Ooh, what? The the spooky. The spooky. <laughs> so uh why don't we why don't we do the uh the cryptic thing and go go do some cryptids here? Well it is cryptic soup. It you are not wrong. You said <laughs> wait, wait, did you think you were listening to something else? No, nah, no, nah, you you hear you in the cryptic soup, fam. <laughs> All right. So we're going to start with the first one called the Lady of the Lake legend. It is the most famous legend. We're going to take a uh, nice little detour in our time machine here, and we're going to go back to the year of 1958. President Dwight Eisenhower was at a all-time high. Everyone in the country loved him. 
really popular movies were coming out like South Pacific, St. Louis Blues, Attack of the 50 Foot Woman, things like that. (laughs) The most famous person in America was Elizabeth Taylor. The price of a postage stamp was four cents. And Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska had came out. Okay. Sounds like some pretty cool stuff. (laughs) Hmm. Did you know that one of the top 10 baby names in 1958 was Karen? Karen? Karen. The biggest sex symbol was Elvis Presley. (laughs) And Miss America was Marilyn Vanderber from Denver, Colorado. The more you know, people, you'll learn things here. (laughs) Well, also in 1958, in April, Delia Mae Parker Young was traveling with her friend Susie Roberts to the Three Gables Bar, which is a local roadhouse they would often visit. Susie was driving her 1954 Ford across the Lanier Bridge when her car crashed off to the right side of the bridge. There were visible skid marks and the remains of the vehicle or the girls were not able to be found by divers. A year later in 1959, a fisherman discovered human remains that had been floating in the lake. There was no identification on the body or signs of death. The body was missing both hands and several toes. It was assumed that this could have been one of the girls, but they were unsure because they did not have linking evidence. November of 1990, 31 years later, the lake bed was dredged to start construction on a new bridge. While putting in some of the pillars, a car was found with human remains inside. It was an old rusted Ford that had been realized to be discovered as maybe the girls' vehicle. There was jewelry, rings, and other things in the car to prove that it was, in fact, the girls. Also, there was a body in the vehicle, and Susie's teeth were still intact on the body. That's some strong teeth. Yeah. I didn't know they could. (laughs) I had to do the little noise and little clackers there. At this point, everybody had learned that the body found years before would have been Delia's. It took over 30 years to find the car and Susie's body because she was over 100 feet deep below the water. Then both bodies were laid to rest. I was reading it, and it's very, very wholesome. They put both bodies in graves next to each other, because for a while they just had, like, an empty grave for the one girl. And then when they found the body, they did bury both girls next to each other in, in graves. The ghostly figure of a young woman in a blue dress is seen walking up and down the bridge, always searching. People say she's searching for a friend or she's searching for her hands. Mm. The ghost or apparition is said to not have any hands, similar to how Delia's body was actually found. The legend goes, if you help the young girl, she'll let you go on your way. But if you do not, she intervenes on your driving and throws your car into the lake and then she will drown you. You know what that reminds me of? Mm. Susie Q. Did you ever watch that movie? Nope. It's about a girl who's on her way to a school dance and her car, I think, goes off the side of a bridge. And then she haunts a boy and he falls in love with her and he asks her to the dance. I don't remember anything else. She wears a really cute pink dress. It was one of my favorite movies growing up, I think, or I'm making this all up. Pause. I got to Google. I don't know if this is a fever dream. Susie Q, the ghost of a girl, died in 1955 by having her car go off a careening bridge, appears to a troubled teen who is living in her old house and he asks her to a school dance. Sounds very Casper-like. Um, it's a Disney movie. I fucking love Casper. <laughs> huh. So, that legend is a little spooky, Kylie. Yeah, a bit. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in the, the Lady of the Lake? 
Well, it didn't say anything about how her hands were missing. I literally stated that. What do you mean? When they found her, you her s- hands and toes were missing. Okay. I, I, I just remembered the toes for some what? reason. I didn't remember the hands. What do you mean? Did you not read the so, notes? <laughs> well, no. But also, like, how? How were they missing? What happened? So do you believe in the ghost? That's all I'm asking. <laughs> No, I want to know more. I'm a science person. I need to know more about the specifics. They were ripped off her during the accident. They were eaten by the giant catfish that are the size of Volkswagen bugs, bro. (laughs) I don't know. All right. I mean, I feel like you're someone is going to start the rumor of the ghost and then Anybody who crosses that bridge is going to be like, oh, we're going to see the ghost. So they're going to like manifest it in their brain. I believe in apparitions. So that that could I. I'm giving the lady like two thumbs up, two thumbs way, way up for our leading lady. Two thumbs up, one and a half thumbs up. I'm going to do one thumb up and one thumb down. (laughs) All right. Well, this next one is sure to get two thumbs up. No worries. It's super (laughs) believable. All right. I'm not even going to read the title. I'm just going to go for it, (laughs) y'all. A pregnant lady went for a walk around the banks of Six Mile Creek. It empties into Lake Lanier, and that's where she was walking. She was knee deep in the water when she was pulled into the lake by an unknown force. She fought aggressively, and she saw the creature had wrapped around her feet and legs. It was a creature with fish-like body but human eyes. eventually she swims her way out and she gets away but due to the severe trauma she had endured she went into early labor she went to the hospital but while on labor she was telling her story after she gave birth her son grew up to be kind of different than most people she said he looked part frog and part catfish and he was nicknamed fish head by the local schoolboys. he never grew any hair on his body he had a slip for a mouth fish-like eyes, and never showed emotions. Is there a picture of the actual... Yes. Okay. (laughs) It's really hard to find, but there's a picture if you search. I'll try to find it again, and if I find it, I'll put it on the Instagram. He dropped out of school due to his lack of getting along with anyone, and also he said he liked animals more than people and was drawn to the lake specifically. I mean, I like animals more than people. I mean, we all do, if (laughs) if you're a logical person. His mother passed away and he decided to leave civilization and run away to live in the forest in the lake area. Over the years, people have tried to catch him, yet no one has. Many people have gone missing, actually, while attempting to capture him. There is a story that two men decided they were going to go capture Fishhead and put him in a carnival or use him to make money on the side of the road. They went to the area to find him where they say he is and they went missing. Their boat was recovered with claw marks trailing down both sides of it. There is a geocache geocache of Fishhead's lair that has a treasure box. And in it, I tried like uh, looking it up and stuff. And it says that um, you can't move anything if you hear anything spooky. You're not supposed to record what you find. You're not supposed to talk about it. You're not supposed to take things out of the treasure box. There's a lot of rules to it. It looks so like. So what happens in Lake Lanier stays, stays in, in Lake, Lake Lanier. Lanier. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, there's a geocache. If you live in Atlanta, Georgia, go go to the shed's lair. Or don't. I mean, I'm not telling you you should really. All right, Kylie, what kind of thumbs up you given that one? Fish fish head. Well, seeing as how I didn't find a picture instantly while Googling, I give it two thumbs down. He's camera shy. Kylie? No. No. All right. I'm giving fish head at two sideways thumbs. I don't necessarily (laughs) not believe in it. I believe parts of that could be true. Like maybe there was a kid that was slightly deformed potentially or something because Lake Lanier doesn't sound super clean. But I feel like maybe that's the end of it. Maybe he was even malnutrition and or like a premature or something. Maybe there was an issue here. And then maybe he just uh, left when his mom died because he was sad. Well, like, when is this? This is just like a le- like, when did the legend come to be? I, you know, like your guess is as good as mine. It's just been there. It's yeah. been part of the Lake Lanier. If. It was modern day. They would have done tests to figure out like what was like the issue. But because it wasn't. The one nice thing is we know all of these, the central of these legends had to have started after the 50s. That is the one thing we know because that's when the lake was formed. That's true. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. But even then the internet wasn't around or anything. So you couldn't easily cross reference or figure things out as well. So the next one, the floating man legend, a shadowy man floating on a raft with a lantern will appear in the middle of the night and then disappear swiftly. One night, a story was being told. Two fishermen say they saw this man on a cold night with a pole pushing himself upon his raft. The area they were on the lake was about 45 feet deep, but this man was just pushing himself on his raft with a pole as if he was touching the bottom. So you got to think this man's trudging along with a mm-hmm. 45 inch, 45 foot pole. Yeah. Like what they do in Venice. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yep. The little. Yeah. Immediately, the figure shouted as if he saw something and jumped into the frigid waters. The two fishermen were instantly scared, but they said they could see no disturbed water, no signs of anything that could have scared the man or just anything. Nothing fishy going on there. Uh huh. They believe the shadowy figure was a ghost of the past that's haunting the old homestead. All right, Kylie. You know what? I kind of believe that one because it's like. Because of that last sentence, I'm giving it two thumbs up. Yeah. Like haunting his old homestead. I I see that. Like he's fucking pissed. Well, we heard lots of stories of old rafts and old ferries and things like that going on the Chattahoochee River. So. Mm -hmm. Sounds believable. Agnes the ghost. Oh, Agnes the ghost. (sighs) Agnes, you got me, got me hecked up here. (laughs) In the county of Gainesville, there is a legend of another ghost girl haunting the area. The legend is about a girl named Agnes who was a student at the Brennu University. She had reportedly committed suicide on campus. Here's the story of how she died. She hit her head on a diving board in the school pool. She also hung herself in a room. Okay. She also jumped off the balcony in the Pierce Auditorium. She also was trapped in a fire in her room when the oil lamp had fell. I'm done. That's all. <laughs> she only died all those ways. Um, but supposedly the most believable one is that she did hang herself in a room. So is she a cat? 
She has nine lives. <laughs> well, here's the better part. Okay. <laughs> Agnes was a real student at the university. Like that was a real student at the time. Her name was Agnes Galloway. Agnes Galloway graduated, though, and walked with her class and everything. She actually died many years after college due to tuberculosis. <laughs> A normal cause of death. Okay. So when people found this out, they changed the story to a girl named Rose. <laughs> and now it's Rose, the ghost of Agnes. What? <laughs> and it's the haunting of this girl near Lake Lanier who killed herself at the school who actually graduated. I, uh, I read a lot of stuff about this and the story's a mess. It's really hard to follow. I tried to summarize it for y'all, but as you can tell, it does not want to be summarized. I'm giving Agnes the ghost two. I'm giving her two thumbs down, two pinkies yeah, down. Two I am everything. too. And I think it's probably like a sorority or a fraternity, like making shit up to scare you younger know, freshmen and the stuff. newbies. Yeah. yeah. Just like <sighs> something. Well, because I started reading and I was like, oh, wow, this sounds crazy. This girl hung herself. She's haunting the halls, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden the next line was like, and Rose did this. I was like, whoa, wait a second. What? Where did Rose come from? And they're like, plot twist. Agnes was never real, except for she was a real human. I'm like, that sentence doesn't even make sense. <laughs> I am getting more lost the more I was uncovering. And I feel like that's not how how research should go. So as you can tell. There's a lot of just activity at Lake Lanier, whether it's a ghost, whether it's a murder, whether you're losing your earrings, whether you're jumping in chimneys. But that's not all. <laughs> it's never it's never all with Lake Lanier. Lake Lanier has also been sued by literally anyone and everything that touches it. In 2009, a federal judge from Minnesota had tried to sue the lake due to it being an unsafe water usage. However, remember, it is still a primary water source for the city of Atlanta. There is also a controversial lawsuit that started in 2021 where the Supreme Court handed Georgia the victory over Florida in a seven year battle over the river system and Lake Lanier itself. Apparently, this fight is due to the oyster fisheries and their <laughs> consumption, I guess. Florida, you don't need it. You have enough crazy heads already. You do not need Lake Lanier. I don't even understand why you would want to fight over food or water coming from Lake Lanier. It doesn't sound safe. It doesn't sound appetizing. How does it pass standards? Ugh. Okay, whatever. I'm reading into it. I don't want to read into it. That's <laughs> disgusting to think about. There's been multiple lawsuits over the lake because they've gotten into lawsuits about literally anything, even including the, it being the water source for Atlanta, because supposedly <laughs> that wasn't in the original documentation for the lake. But originally it was and recreational things weren't. And now it's a recreational place also. So it, it's getting really confusing the more you dig about this. So whether it's the catfish, the waves, the cemeteries, the headless ghost girls, or I mean, handless ghost girls, my bad, the underwater forest, or just if literally everything about Lake Lanier does not make you feel cautious enough to avoid it, you scare me. I don't know. Maybe I'm attracted to you because you're, <laughs> I don't know. You got you got something. You're brave going as hell. <laughs> that's for sure. So that's uh 
that's all we're going to do on Lake Lanier because I think we've we've drug it out enough for you guys. If y'all have more stories, if y'all want to tell us more things, you found something crazy. Definitely slide. You know what? what tell Kylie, Kylie, tell them. Slide into those DMs on Instagram. What's our Instagram? At Cryptic Soup Pod. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we figured we'd give you guys a little uh, happy Thanksgiving bonus with these bonus episodes itself. We wanted to give you a little something to look forward to on those holidays in case you don't want to have to listen to everyone at the the Thanksgiving table talk about current events. Listen to our current events here at Cryptic <laughs> Soup. We got you covered. We'll hit you up with some really crazy cases about some lakes. I like want to go. Like I want to go to Lake Lanier. But I don't want to go in it. Like maybe I want to fly over it. I'll like walk around it. I don't even want to drive I near don't it. Want, no, I don't want to walk around it either. I'll take a Google tour of it. Yes, let's take a Google tour. I would. Okay, here's my goal. I need to find a willing participant to GoPro themselves doing everything I want to do at Lake Lanier. So it's almost like they're my a drone. I'm asking for a drone. That's Wait. what I'm asking <laughs> for. We have a drone. I'm asking us to use the drone at Lake Lanier. <laughs> um, all right, guys. We were super happy you tuned in for these episodes. We hope you like the rest of the month's theme of the scary movies that we're doing. Sorry this didn't fit in. We just really wanted to surprise you with something fun. So if you have any shout outs or anything you'd like to add in, let us know on Instagram. Remember, the Cryptic Soup Pod Instagram is always hot for you. We can't wait to hear from you. Speaking of hearing from you, we are officially on Apple Podcasts, guys. We made it. We're big stuff now. We're big we time. It. it was really cool for us. So hopefully it's cool for you guys to be able to hear us on there. You guys can leave us a review, things like that. We have some really fun things going up with the reviews and stuff. If you want to leave us stars. So let us know if you have anything you'd like to add. If not, just remember to subscribe, follow, tune in, keep up with us. We'll see you on the next episode next Tuesday, though, guys. Stay tuned. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. 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 What do we do? We swim. Swim. Dorino singing. Oh, 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 I love to swim in Dorino. When you want to swim, you want to Sock hops. I have no idea what you're talking about. Sock hops. Sock hops. Okay, you could say it over and over again, but I still don't know what you're talking about. They drove to a local summer. <laughs> All right, let's start that over again. Got Billy dang it again. He bison. Why is she getting slower? He bison. He bison. He bison. Bison. He bison. And it's more like a Z sound he, than an S. He bison. Okay. We're going to start this paragraph again. <laughs> Sorry, Corey. I love you, Corey. No, Corey's going to really enjoy this part a lot, actually. <laughs> because I said my own. Can you guys be quiet so I can record?